Welcome to Doing Sustainability, a podcast that features practical and actionable approaches to sustainability, brought to you by Baker. In every episode, we have enlightened conversations with corporate and business leaders on the vision, motivation, actions, and impacts of sustainability. We discuss best practices, fresh perspectives, tips, and solutions to help a company demonstrate its ESG commitment and position themselves for long-term success. Hi, I'm your host, Rocket. And I'm your host, Gary. Let's start the show. Today, we're talking with Beryl Calabrese. Welcome to Doing Sustainability. Thank you. Great to have you today. So glad to be here. Beryl was a career spanning over two decades in communications, design, innovation, and corporate sustainability. She has honed her leadership skills to accelerate the performance of purpose-driven teams and organizations. Her passion lies in inspiring visions for a more sustainable future and accelerating the positive impact individuals and organizations can make. She's currently the Purpose and Sustainability Director at Crow, and she's the chair of the Crow Foundation. She's dedicated to enhancing Crow's social and environmental impact, aligning with her purpose of shaping a better tomorrow together today. She recently was the Global Corporate Sustainability Manager, Strategic Initiatives at Eastman, and she was a, a section chair, Materials and Processes for the Industrial Designer Society of America. I could have been an industrial designer at one time. I love those people. They're my people. Before that, Farrell was on the board of directors at Ether. Ether is an organization that creates transformational experiences intended to develop empathetic and strategic leadership at all levels. Wow. I do not know that Ether is still in existence. Okay. So it was a fun ride while we were there. And then you spent 10 years at that at, at Eastman Chemical Company. I'm sure you learned a lot. You went to Wilbur O. and Ann Powers College of Business at Clemson University, where you achieved a degree in graphic communications and minor in business. And then you went and then you studied at, at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, took a course in executive education, sustainability yeah. leadership. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. So I kind of like to start off. Tell us about your evolution. Tell us about how you got here, where you started. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a story, honestly. And I don't want to, you know, bore everyone by going back too far. But from Northern California, so I think part of my ethos and heart, you know, stems from the culture of what Northern California has to offer. Grew up um, in a very agricultural area. Both my parents, teachers and coaches. My dad was a Division One athlete. So hard work, very ingrained in what we do. What area? I grew up um, in Yuba City and then went to high school on the coast in Monterey. But because my, my parents were teachers um, in the summertime, we got to go to Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe is not quite, I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from what it was then, but um, back then it wasn't as maybe chic as it is today, right? <laughs> so um, a little bit more humble um, beginnings for Lake Tahoe. We just truly walked around the woods, went to the beach, had a great cabin. I know it well. I was going to say it was more sort of an environmental jewel. Yeah. Yeah. But there was and a it's felt truly a gift, I think, to Northern California, and it's well protected. But they work hard to do so, right? And it just attracts so many more people to it today, which is great. 
So that's kind of my ethos. Like I said, I went to high school on the Central Coast. Um, I went to a private school. And so was afforded kind of an expanded mindset with regards to where I could go to college. A lot of my friends were going to the East Coast. I think because of my dad's athletic background, I was very interested in, um, I've always been athletic and artistic. So I was interested in, could I play a sport in college? And it wasn't going to be basketball. I kind of had that insight already, but women's rowing programs were starting to come to scale uh, right when I entered college. And uh, I was able to walk on to Clemson's inaugural rowing team. So chose Clemson. So happy I did. Um, definitely a life-changing experience mm-hmm. and just kind of changed the course of my life in that regard. Like I said, you know, Gary and I were sharing, I aspired to be an artist or a graphic designer or an architect, anything kind of in the art, but also realized that one, you couldn't be an architect and a division one athlete. Those just didn't marry up time-wise. I had one person on my team try to do it and she about killed herself. So kudos to her, but always loved the arts and graphic communication spoke to me. I don't know that I appreciated at the time all the business fundamentals that I received in that education, but between the coaching of being a division one athlete and kind of going into coaching after I graduated, you know, those leadership principles were instilled in me as well as those business principles while I explored an artistic side of of how you could do art in business. And it just kind of changed my view on what what opportunities there were in that vein. Let's talk about Quill. I think I want your job. <laughs> well, I'd be happy to share it with you. I made everyone into it. Yeah. Purpose and sustainability director. Now that could be a highly rewarding job or it could be uh, very challenging or it could be a little bit of both. Was yeah, it, all of the above. You yeah, know, was it? Uh, tell us about it. Obviously, it's highly rewarding. I think anytime you take a job that just fully aligns with your being, then you get unlocked, right? So I do think that taking this position with Crow is, is what happened to me. I came from an environment that was a high, a big engineering firm, in a sense, right? When I worked for Eastman Chemical Company um, and got to understand the world at a very micro level, right? Like we're talking about molecules, how things are made, mm-hmm. um, the systems in which things were made, what resources it takes to make something, both from a human capital perspective as well as a material perspective. I just have a fundamental understanding of how things are made at a very granular level, right? And then you scale that out into the macro and you ask yourself, well, what are you going to do about that in the world? I scale towards being a people person. So I very much care for, you know, obviously individuals, organizations, society at large, right? Like I do hold space for the global community and the impact that our choices on an individual level make. So I think kind of I flip between very casually the leadership principles that I've learned just very early on and were instilled in me um, in my upbringing. And that I got to hone um, in coaching and I'm also married to a division one coach. So they never kind of leave my sphere. And I work hard on kind of truly understanding mastery and like what makes people great. And then how can we be and bring those intentions in line with our own personal purpose and values and scale them in a way to make an impact on society in a positive way. And that can be, again, from the resources that we use or the impact, whether it's an environmental impact or a social impact. But just having a consciousness about that. So when I took the job at Crow, it truly was because purpose was in the title. 
you know, for me being a purpose-driven company, that was important to me because of where I was in my personal journey, you know, and I believed that it was the right environment where we could scale positive impact. Do you know how Brill came to their purpose? I do know a little bit. They actually had come up or reshaped their purpose statement prior to me joining. So I know that there was a lot of feedback taken, a lot of workshops to have. They were very deliberate in how they did that and really a proud place to work, right? I mean, we're a company that cares. We've gotten 100 best companies to work for accolades just across the board, um, just a really exciting place to work while we grow. And I think because of that, it's a lot of that employee feedback that comes into that. I think there's an intentionality of wanting to be great and truly caring. I think of the four values that we have, care shines through the most. And that's what really affected me. I've, I've only been at the firm just over a year now. It really highlighted, it was highlighted to me when I joined. What do they do to live their purpose and their sustainability? So I think that, that they're together, right? Like I want to combine purpose and sustainability. And and I'd like to frame for our listeners too, right? Purpose and sustainability, those are wide topics. So to give a little bit of framework for how to think about sustainability in the business world, probably many listeners have heard of ESG, right? So ESG tends to skew towards the investment community right now. Um, it tends to focus on climate impact, but what it stands for is environmental, social, and governance. And the way that I like to talk about sustainability is similar to like personal longevity, right? Like, do we want to be a business that is thriving now and into the future indefinitely? And what choices do we have to make today to ensure that we're a viable company into the future, right? So when we're thinking about ESG, sustainability, and purpose, I would say our purpose statement and our ethos, shaping a better tomorrow together today really is multi-stakeholder driven, right? We do think about that in the frame of our people. Obviously, we're a people company, right? The health and well-being of our people, the inclusiveness of our and diversity of our people, just overall well-being. How do we maintain that to ensure that when we interact with our clients, another stakeholder, that we're delivering our best work? I look at it in the way that we have to be our own personal best if we're going to be the best for others, right? So that's a framework that I use. And so when you think about the ESG framework in the context of Crow, we scale on the social side a lot. So I would say that inclusiveness of our diverse communities um, and our people and the well-being of our people are definitely some of the things that we care about most and we're always looking at. We have engagement feedback mechanisms, right? So we're always trying to touch in and understand the organizational psychology, if you will, of of our people and use those insights to inform our strategies, both on the business operations side, as well as the experiences we provide our people. And then my job also as the sustainability director is to look at the environmental impact that our work has and bring our, our people, our clients, um, the communities where we live, work, and play along on that journey. What's different being at Crow than being at Eastman, um, our footprint's rather different, right? So again, I was a part of Eastman for a long time and we've made a ton of progress. Totally different business model, right? We're yeah. running plants around the world, manufacturing goods. We're a service-oriented firm, right? And a lot of our firm works from home. We have options to go into office, but we have a flexible workforce. We have 40 offices around the country, right? So again, it's 
how do we optimize our people so that our clients have the best experience and why continue working with us? I was just going to say that, you know, I find the sustainability, um, you know, often a missing block in the building blocks of really educating their people, the individuals, to be uh, a part of the process. Too many companies have their sustainability strategy and what they're doing annually in the progress that they're making. It's just sort of a all with the people who are around that ESG disclosure rather than, you know, inviting and engaging their people to be much more a part of the process, as well as changing them individually to live their life. And as you say, live, work, and play as more um, people who are aware and acting on a granular level, making that contribution in your life and how that really changes the business and accelerates the transformation. Agree. And I think that's where it comes back to leadership principles, right? Not leadership positions. So I like to make the distinction between the two. And the more that we can align people's personal values with the values of their work, the higher job satisfaction they're going to have. They're going to see their job not just being a job, but that they're truly making an impact. So I think we have opportunities always to work on that, especially in professional services, right? It's hard. And the accounting function itself can be hard. But I think as you look at your clients, you have to ladder up. What is it that I'm about? What is it that my team or my focus is about, right? So we might serve different industries. Are those things aligned, right? Like is my human self aligned with the work that I do? If not, there's always going to be friction. So if you think about high-performing environment, um, again, I kind of think about sustainability as a high-performance environment. So maybe that's just my athletic background coming forward. Mm-hmm. But when you're wanting to find mastery at something, it's because you have an intrinsic passion and that there's flow between, you know, your personal alignment with what you do. So I think everyone's always on that journey. I don't know as human species that we're tapped in. I think we're probably a very distracted community. And so um, how do you cut through the distraction? How do you really kind of focus internally to know what you're about? And then how do you maximize that? Because it maximizes your potential and potential around you. Have you read Daniel Pink's book, Truth? It's drying. It's the surprising. I might have it, but I don't think I've read it yet. Truth about what motivates us. And he breaks it down to three key things. It's done too. Okay. I'm interested. He talks about mastery, be able to, to grow, develop, become a master of what it is we want to be, autonomy, freedom to go in the direction that you want to go, and purpose. And and he writes the whole book around those three notions, those three elements. I was just curious because... There's actually another book I have to look now. It's called uh, Deep Purpose by Ranjay Gulati. You got to read that one if you haven't read that. I mean, I think he really dives into the science even behind high-performing organizations that are purpose-driven, right? And I think it's, again, and you have to be authentic, right? So some people might have a purpose statement. And what I keep telling people as I meet them at Crow, right? Like, I feel like my job is to make sure that that purpose statement doesn't become the laminated piece of paper on the wall, right? You know, like you just, you go to so many organizations and you know, they have a purpose statement, but you ask their people, can you, 
can you recite it? You know, and what does it mean to you? And sometimes there's a myth there. And so it's not authentic to the organization. And sometimes they can recite it, but it has no connection. Sometimes it's just a bunch of words. Well, yeah, you said you used the word authentic. And uh, although I I like that word, it's so used, you know, I think it was the word of 2023. But, you know, I have found that when I can tap into the heart and soul of someone, like we do a lot of talking and interviews uh, in our in our corporate branding work, and yeah. sometimes I am able to get down into a one-on-one conversation, and uh, it's surprising. So uh, sometimes we're like a corporate therapist, and in doing, mm-hmm. and when someone can really talk about what's in here, not so much in what's what's yeah. in the brain, but what's in the heart and soul, what they really feel. That's where real authenticity really kind of comes through. I was dealing with a client the other day, and they were talking about evolving their corporate values because the company had evolved, and they needed to relook at it or retake them. But it was a it was a group session. I think in those group sessions you have to you have to please too many people, and it gets boiled down. So you know. And when you don't do this work right, like a purpose that people can't get or values that people don't really connect with, it's a hindrance. And, but when you do it, it's, it it really, and you can feel it, it's really right. And I think in the context of sustainability or ESG practices, I almost think, right, so I I imagine these concentric circles and at at the heart of it is your purpose and values. Along with it, though, are your business imperatives, right? So when I worked at Eastman, right, safety was a business imperative. If we did not provide a safe community, a safe workspace, a safe, you know, safety within the plant to make the product, like we we don't want the plant growing up, right? So safety absolutely was our number one focus in the same way that ethics, integrity, and quality would be for an accounting and consulting firm, right? So that's our means to do business. Um, without that, we don't have a leg to stand on. Yeah. But then I think that the three-legged stool then becomes your purpose, your values, and that, right? So when all of that sits at the center of who you are and who you have to be. And then I think there's the externalities of the world, right? And you ha- and to be a business, you have to marry. You can, you can be core of who you are, but if you're not understanding the externalities of the business to which you're doing business in, right? So if you're just kind of in your own tunnel, that could be okay. Um, it might end up good and it could end up pretty bad too, right? You know, so I think it's much more about painting that vision of who you want to be and then articulating that. But then if, if your purpose and values are true, you tend to have integrity with that too, right? And I think where some corporations or businesses get sideways is they, they find those great words to use. They sound shiny. They've been market tested. But again, that lack of authenticity to being truly core or even allowing that to reverberate within the inside of that organization before it goes outside, there, there's a lack of integrity there. And so the workability becomes, there's some friction that gets in the system there and the trust isn't as high, right? And so everything is highly relational, whether we want to think about it like that or not. When you start to think about the externalities of the business, you know, and you think about what do we want of our people, you know, that's one way to think about it. And does it align with these principles 
what the people, what do they want from us as a corporation as well? Right. And it's a balance sustainability wise, you know, you have kind of a spectrum of items that you have to consider um, around the ESG framework. So we tend to use the global reporting initiative, or I do. Um, that's always been the backbone of business that I've thought about and used. And I think it's pretty much the gold standard in our industry, right? A lot of the reporting frameworks are skewing towards that from a holistic perspective. And so you look at those standards across the way and you say to yourself, okay, from each stakeholder on each line item, right? Like, what do we expect of this stakeholder and what do they expect of us? And what's the delta between that? And what's real for our organization too? What's material, right? So that's where, again, I think some people might conduct those materiality assessments. I think about it as a listening mechanism, right? So when I think about stakeholder engagement and just, you know, employee engagement, what's unique about my role at Crow is I'm the chair of the foundation. I'm over our employee and stakeholder engagement. So um, some of our listening surveys and feedback mechanisms, um, as well as sustainability and some of the environmental impact. And then I partner very closely across the board in different functions, depending on what those expectations are and, and what needs to work. So I almost think about myself as that hub and spoke, right? Like I'm kind of at that core center. And then how do we marry all this stuff up so that it's not looked at as in silos, but it's just our way of being and our way of operating, right? So we have a seamless experience through our business operations and a seamless experience for our people internally. Well, related to what we're talking about, and you recently wrote in a post, I understand that our individual decisions and habits over time and at scale collectively impact people, society, our environment, and ultimately our connected world. So that notion of impact, talking about impact that you make there at Crow. Uh, you know, and I, it's at Crow or it's just in my human, right? And just in my community and my family. All of us have an impact. Every decision we make has an impact. It could be positive, negative, neutral. And so, again, I think it has to do much more with that performance and growth mindset. If you make decisions and you practice making intentional decisions that skew towards having a positive impact, then over time, there's an exponential return on that that's positive, right? So if you think about negative, right, that's status quo, then you're just kind of going through it. Now, you might make a, a actual negative decision. Um, then you might know it. And you might get a little bump, but you do better tomorrow, right? So it's, again, progress over perfection. But if you knowingly make a choice that has a negative impact over time, that's a big number too, right? And I think this notion with sustainability, even if we think about climate, let's just say, right? And it's overwhelming, right? There's some doom and gloom stories out there. It's a global issue. You can't see it per se. And yet the impact we're starting to feel societally many different ways, all sorts of geographies right? There's not anyone that's not impacted by it, but also there's not someone that can just a hundred percent put their finger in and say, well, that's climate impact. And it's the culmination of the decisions we make every day, both in business, but also on an individual scale. And so, you know, it's the products you buy, the clothes you wear, the cars you drive or don't drive, right? Like how you choose to use transportation, how you choose to communicate with people, all of that adds up. And if you look around the world, again, this is the macro and the micro, right? 
we get to be really privileged and share these insights. I didn't, I wasn't born in a less fortunate situation, right? So in that way, many of us don't get to choose where we end up in life and the impact the climate will have on us. And that's where societally, we have to really think about that holistically for humanity. And because we're privileged, we can vote with our dollars, right? We can make a difference with where we spend our money. And how do we scale the systems and frameworks and really put money into changing some of these things at scale? You know, I think that we can start to see that. The big brands, there's a lot more choice out there today. And we can see consumer sentiment shifting towards purpose, honestly. And I can't say that that's totally on a global scale, but there's an awareness there. And I don't work for a big brand, but have worked with enough big brands and have been a member of the sustainable brands community. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that there is on the level of, you know, customers as well as investors, as well as employees wanting to work yeah. for those kind of companies, communities wanting to attract certain, you know, people who are you know, businesses who are moving forward in that direction. I definitely think that that is what is putting pressure on the big brands. But I also feel that it's hard. I mean, we believe attracting talent. Sustainability is really a big factor moving forward. The young generations want to work for companies where their values align uh, with their workplace and such. I I see that one of the biggest problems is when, you know, they have commitments, but they aren't really showing their action plan. So it's almost like greenwashing, you know, like you think you're, you're joining a company that is making this happen. And then you find out that a lot of it is, is empty statements, you know, because it's really all about that journey. It's all about those actions. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we migrated and changed the name of our podcast to doing sustainability uh, rather than just talking about, you know, the mindset of sustainability. But, you know, what's hard is, you know, then you even have the middle manager who is on the level of really the people on the ground making it happen. If those people aren't really a part of that intentionality, it sort of falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, I think there's a long way to go, right? There's progress over perfection. The reporting standards that are coming out are driving the accountability mechanism so that you can't make empty statements. I don't think that the empty statements out there as a pure play positioning, I think that the field started in an aspirational sense. Right. It started out with business leaders being able to put a stake in the ground and trying to move the conversation forward to do business that way. Sustainability at this time is a business imperative. Otherwise, we wouldn't hear everything coming out of COP28 right now. It's changing. And, and there are mechanisms being put in place for accountability. They're being driven out of Europe. California is a fast follower and, and we'll see what other states are coming on board next. But. You know, California is what the fourth largest economy in the world as well. You're in Florida. You're you're Guthrie Bermea, but they just yeah. But seven, six, fifth, fourth, right, right in there. 
<laughs> you know, so I mean, when you combine the economies of Europe and California together, having to report against these standards, right? There's not a lot of room for greenwashing left. And so I hate to talk about greenwashing in the way that's dismissive and, and kind of um, put the black mark on the sustainability community that's behind the scenes. Because I think what's trying to happen is there are people, you know, working day in and day out to operationalize better systems and processes, right? And optimize, and it's expensive. It, it can't happen quickly. It takes a lot of intentionality. And sometimes, you know, products have to get to a certain scale before it is cost effective. And so it's not to say that we don't do it at all costs, but the company also can't go under just because it changed the technology too, right? So you have to look for the opportunities to shift and where are where do you find that flow kind of back to the beginning of the conversation, right? What's the one to two to three products where you know the consumer wants a shift, where you know that you can feasibly shift it and then start to generate that momentum so that you can over time scale the business to skew that way. Well, as you say, it takes money and, you know, investing even in the innovation that can yeah. uh, create new streams of revenue for the company. It takes money. I told you this. Uh, are you a public corporation or are you private? We're private. So I was at the uh, NERI, the National Investor Relations Institute, senior roundtable conference last week. And they had it here in Southern California. And I was asked to moderate a panel on bridging ESG assessment impact with strategic messaging. And I was surprised during the Q&A, as Lulu was talking about how her CEO is still resisting the notion of sustainability and ESG. And it's just kind of, you know, because we live in that world and we see it, and the statistics are that, you know, 92% of Fortune 500 companies, probably higher now. I think it might be, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> are, are reporting. Uh, I was just, I was just a little taken. I was like, wow, really? There's, some, there's a person here, and the company's paying to be here, and the CEO is still sort of resisting. And it's just, I, I just found that really, really interesting. I think, again, it's a personal journey, right? So yeah. I think we have to let go of, of judgment of right or wrong, right? And it's a way of doing business. So if your incentives are locked into a system yeah. that doesn't account for the shift in momentum, or if you do not understand the full supply chain to which you sit, and you don't have insight into the regulations that are coming and or the brands that sit above or below you and or the consumer insight, right? There's a big gap. I mean, yes, the Fortune 500, the Global 2000 have already adopted this mindset. They've been working on it for 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. They have a 20-year, like they are the ones that originally set the 2020 targets, which for good or bad, maybe instituted some greenwashing because they were a little aspirational and <laughs> we didn't quite know where we were going at that time, right? There's a lot more sophistication in the profession right now. There's a lot more growth. You can just go out and look on LinkedIn at all of the sustainability ESG jobs in specific categories, right? Like it's not even just the generalist. The practice has just grown exponentially. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're outside of that Fortune 500 or Global 2000, you might not see it. You might not have clients or customers that are asking for it. You might not have resources within your own organization to do the work. And your incentives have been built on certain systems and they're working. Why would you change? 
I think the California regulations will open some eyes up to, are we ready to even, you know, know about this? But it's just education. And there's a large part of the business community that's been exposed to this. There's a, an even larger part of the business community that isn't exposed to this whatsoever. But there again, even with the ones that haven't get down to just operating principles and risk management, just ask them how they intend their company to stay in business, you know, in 20 years, you know, or whatever, because, you know, the risks are just getting very um, concrete with the climate change and uh, with, you know, the natural disasters and the rate of them and things like that. So on top of that, I feel that it has not been a service for ESG to have gotten political size. Well, that, yes, I find has been conundrum for a lot of companies because they are bought in and they do see how it all adds up, but they don't want to alienate shareholders or stakeholders in any way. So they become very silent about some of their actions. And again, I think there's an opportunity to know what is their true purpose, authentic to themselves, right? And everyone's going to be on a journey and people might not be ready to talk about it. For me, if you're doing the hard work internally and, and you're trying to be a high-performing business, again, sometimes it's just the words and semantics that are politicized. And if you want to remain neutral in that world, you can still take these same principles. You know, just go look at the GRI framework. You're doing half of that stuff anyway as a business. Every business is doing it. Every business has learning and development for their people. Everyone is understanding what is their core, you know, license to operate. You know, I mean, there are some fundamental health and safety. I mean, there's regulations and laws across half of the ESG spectrum already. And so whether you want to say it's in climate or environmental impact, the words you choose, it's just how do you become a high-performing environment, right? And look at these as performance indicators. How do they fit within your business and operating model? What is the people experience that you want? And again, it's just about expectations and integrity. So if you're a type of business and your stakeholders have some expectations of you around the ESG framework, then great, you're probably going to have to deliver on them. If they don't quite yet, you probably have a little bit of time, right? And then vice versa, what are your expectations of your people, your clients and customers and the communities where you live, work and play? So I, it's a two-way street and everyone's journey, we're not at scale. Let's just put it that way. Because if we were, uh, we'd be solving this problem way faster. At that conference and uh, our topic, but there was a subtitle and it was one size doesn't get all. And that's exactly true. I want to close with two separate questions. Share with us what you're proud of, of what Pro does, the one or two things that you're really proud of that Pro does in this world of sustainability. And again, we're a people company, right? So when I think about what attracts people to Crow and what Crow make, it makes it special, it's that we care fundamentally. Um, I think that that comes through. That's been a core value of ours for a really yep. long time. And we care for all of our stakeholders, right? So we do care very deeply about our employees. We listen. We do try to optimize our people experiences. We look at the systems and processes to which they're working. How can we take friction out of the system? 
sometimes you put friction in the system to make it flow easier later. So mm-hmm. I'll put that caveat out for anyone listening that change isn't always easy. Transformation's not always easy, right? But sometimes that friction comes from caring and seeing the big picture. So I think our people are along for that journey. Uh, we care for our clients really deeply, that we have a high engagement level for our clients. Yes. We have some very specific expertise across the board in our different businesses. And we care for our communities. We show up really big. Through my experiences, you're one of these. I, I call them people-first companies. Companies that put their people first, that take care of their people, understand that those employees that are feel valued and engaged will take care of the customers, will take care of the business, yeah. and the vast majority of the time are going to be doing the right thing. It's five years from today. We're doing the podcast, and maybe it'll be done sustainability. I said, what could be the topic of our conversation five years from today? 2020, are we going to say nine? Yeah, you know, basically sure. 2029. Yeah. It's funny, you know, it used to be to think five years into the future wasn't that hard. Yeah. Um, seriously. Yeah. The rate of, the rate of, you know, I'm being real serious on that. Um, five years into the future, the world could be really different. In good and bad, in good and different ways. I don't know if I want to put a good and bad on it. And and probably both ways. Yeah, sure. Geopolitics will continue to play central to our lived experience as humans around the world, right? And it'll be interesting to see how we come together on topics and and what we care about as the human values, human rights, if you want to call them, and how we stand up for those globally. Coming from that core, right? Not from a politicized space, but just from fundamental caring, honestly, for each other as a species. And how does that overlap with our environment? And that environment could be built and it could be the natural environment, right? I feel a shift towards looking back towards indigenous indigenous cultures, learning from them. There's a lot of things we've unlearned in our age of technology. But I also see a shift back into understanding our human systems, again, just down to our core being of, I think health will change tremendously in the next five years, individualized and personalized health, how one takes care of themselves and the expectations one has for themselves as we live longer lives. And we truly want to understand what that life will look like. So I hope that we solve for some disease, but I think that we personally have agency to solve for a lot of the disease we see today. So I hope we don't maintain a passive course on that. And I hope in that state too, that the choices that we make for our individual health and well-being ripple out and are the sustainability that will see the change in the world, right? So whether it's regenerative agriculture, moving our body versus always being dependent on something getting us somewhere else or sitting at a desk. And then on the flip side, you know, I think VR technologies are going to come out strong. Um, I saw a mind-blowing Apple video for their newest VR headset that I think is meant to launch next year. So remote work could get more interesting. Global work could get more interesting. I think we seem really advanced talking in our little black boxes on our screens. And, you know, COVID changed a lot. COVID Um, COVID changed a lot. And... Who knew how much it was going to change everything? It's accelerated change yeah. it's for our education system, for healthcare, for working globally, supply chain management. I mean, it's just, and it happened things that we couldn't imagine 
all of a sudden could be very quickly. Again, five years from now, I feel like that used to be, that was like the question of before you'd be like, oh, 20 years into the future. And that was kind of futuristic. Five years could be pretty futuristic, I, I think. Well, I think the main word moving forward is intentionality. I read, I don't know where I was reading yesterday, but I read something and it said contagious heart-centered, heart-centered action, contagious heart-centered action. And I just, that resonated so much with me. And it was, how do we filter decisions through our heart in order to show up in the world in a more kind and generous way? And I thought, you know, that's really what we're talking about here. How do we, that's what the intentionality is. How do we center on authenticity? How do we center on harmony, optimism, leadership, right? And we have to cooperate at scale (laughs) and we have to be creative. But I'm also really conscious that that mindset can be overwhelming to people. So I want to frame that for the listeners, too, in a way that I hold space and I can see that for the world, right? Like, I I know how the global world systems work, so I can see that more easily than some that don't have that insight just because of my profession. This can be within your family. This can be for yourself only, right? Like, you can start really at an individual level. And then you can think of the five people you have the biggest impact on in your life, right? This will ripple to them. And if you think about having that contagious heart-centered action for those five people, perhaps those five people also then can take that approach for their five people, right? And so again, it can ripple out pretty big. But if you don't start with yourself first and really truly live those values, authentically to who you are. You cannot live that way if that's not who you are. Like if you're not this person also, it's okay, right? Like I'm not trying to say that this is everyone, but if that resonates with you, then try being that person and try being that person for others and double down on it. Great advice. <laughs> and show up with your whole self. And you have to get comfortable. There, There's a vulnerability in that. And it is more, it is easier for some people And it is easier if your work and your workplace has created that environment. I would also advocate know your environment, you know, know what level of professionalism you need to have to be successful in your environment also. And if that level is not authentic to you, ask that, ask yourself, why am I here? Am I doing what I need to be doing? Right. So again, I think there's that back and forth conversation, right? Like what you think you might want. You got to listen to yourself to know <laughs> what you want, right? And the expectations of an organization might come back at you too and be like, well, we want this also, right? And there's there's also that given it's a relationship like marriage, right? It's not always, if you show up as your authentic self all the time, some words are left that are unsaid. So you have, to, you have to have an awareness and the impact of your words, even if you're really true to who you are in, in that moment and in that season of life, whatever it is. But know that you can't get your words back either, and they can make an impact on someone yeah. else's life. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Good. Okay. Good. We'll talk to you in five years. Yeah. Well, I, maybe on our VR headsets, we could be sitting on the beach, you know? Taking a walk on the beach, having this conversation. We'll be sitting on the beach, watching the sunset, and forget about, we'll, we'll deal with the reality of that. And then we'll take our headsets off. That'll be a, a, another different moment. I think when yeah. you take the headset off and the headset maybe is more romantic than your lens experience. That's exactly. what I, I learned my son after that. Uh, after we watched that video together, I said, please, Lord, his name is Kai. I said, Kai, please do not live your life yeah. in this screen because yeah. there's a lot. And, and my worry is if we live there, 
It's so sensationalized. Feeds on every last human dopamine hit that we lose awe in our in our everyday life. And there's yeah. You know, that touches in so many different ways moving forward from AI. I mean, I was having a conversation with my daughters and talking about one of them works as a school counselor and, you know, how it's so powerful. How are we ever going to have people who do original thinking and work? You know, it's just incredible to me. We're not going to have people who know how grammar how to spell, how to, you know, have a thought. It's just, uh, it's going to change everything. Nice to have you so much. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. This is just a reminder to follow Doing Sustainability wherever you get your podcast. And please leave a rating and review if you like the show. It helps others discover us. And of course, we want more listeners. If you want to learn more about our agency, Baker, and how we can help you build your corporate brand, align your culture, and evolve your ESG reporting, head to bakerbrand.com. See you in the next episode of Doing Sustainability, where we focus on practical and actionable approaches to sustainability to create long-term value.